The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present this recording from Saver 2013 in New York City. This recording is from Saturday, June 15th. Go Sour with Upland Brewing Company, featuring Doug Dayhoff from Upland Brewing Company. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Carolyn Smigalski. I'm the Beer Fox, the editor of Beer and Brewing at Bella Online, which is the voice of women on the internet. I'm also the editor of Society, Culture, and Health at BeerLovers.com. I'm a freelance beer writer. I write for Beer Connoisseur Magazine, Philly Beer Scene, and a lot of other magazines across the country. And I'm also one of the founders of the Philly Beer Geek competition where we just gave away over $5,000 in prizes last week to the person with the most knowledge and passion for beer. I want to thank you for attending Savor and for coming to this salon tonight. I want to remind you also to turn off your cell phones for the duration of this salon. Saver is brought to you by the Brewers Association, which is the, the Association for Craft Brewers who are small and independent across the nation. And we want to thank our many supporters, including Manhattan Beer Distributors and the Brewers Supply Group for supporting this salon. Our salons are being recorded by craftbeerradio.com. And they will be available for listening on craftbeer.com shortly after the event. Our salon presentation this evening is Go Sour with Upland Brewing Company featuring Doug Dayhoff. <laughs> Doug is the president of Upland Brewery, founded in 1998, and it is now the second largest brewery in the state of Indiana. Upland celebrates the Norman and Crawford Uplands, which is a, a rugged and a heavily wooded area in the Hoosier State, and seems to stimulate independent thinkers. That said, Upland Brewery is known for their sours, starting with traditional recipes and adding that distinctive Upland touch to create magic. With Doug Dayhoff at the helm, They've become environmentally conscious and actively serve and support a boatload of community organizations. I want to introduce here Doug Dayhoff. Thank you. So I did not respond to the email that asked for send us your how you wanted to be introduced. I'm just curious where you pulled that from. <laughs> that, I mean, that's my bad. I can't complain about it. I'm just Because curious. you are a legend. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. So, so, um, so there are many folks to thank, obviously, the Brewers Association. Um, most importantly, you all for coming out and supporting events like this. Um, but there's one person that I want to not thank, um, and that is whoever stole a case of cherry, Upland Cherry Lambic uh, from the loading dock. It was you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring it, bring it out because we need to try it. So, uh, so this is one very unfortunate um, announcement to make, which is we brought three sour beers out. Only two of them are over there. Um, one of them disappeared in the last 
uh, 27 hours because I physically walked that case in uh, to the building and uh, it, it somehow disappeared. So, Doug, I think you should be proud of that. Well, I don't think, I, no, I don't think so. Actually, our, our good friends at Three Floyds had the same thing happen um, uh, to some of their beer that they were pouring down on the floor. It disappeared somehow in the last uh, 24 hours. So, so um, yeah, so I'm, 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 I'm like I said, I, I, I'm sorry. Um, we literally carried it here in a big... Um, plastic tote, hauled it through the city, did all kinds of work, and worst case scenario is you guys don't get to uh, try that beer. So, um, so I brought up from the floor, and many of you may have already had this, but, but I was just trying to think about, well, what do we do? What do we do now? And I, I brought up from the floor, we do a, a nice Belgian triple, which is not at all sour and tart, but I, but I brought that up from the floor, just kind of like keeping it in that northern European tradition and we're going to kind of like on the fly uh, on the fly sort of substitute that in is everybody cool with that so we've got so we've got a Belgian triple um, sort of a high gravity uh, Flanders red style and then a uh, unfruited goose style everybody can roll with that punch okay all right so so if you guys can, yeah, the, the Infinite Wisdom Triple, if you guys can uh, go ahead and start that toward the pouring. And if, when will folks bring the cheeses out? So we... we they can bring that now. Bring also. the cheese? Yeah, yes. yeah. So, so go ahead and let's start this. So, so again, we had three sour beers in mind um, when we set the salon up. So this isn't quite what we had in mind, but hopefully it kind of works. Um, and I'll just talk a little bit about what, how we, where Uplands come from on our sour program, and then really want to kind of open it up for you guys to ask questions because I'm more interested in answering your questions than talking about, you know, maybe what we want to talk about. So um, we're in Bloomington, Indiana, which is a college town um, in the southern part of the state. As uh, Carol mentioned, it's, it's in the uh, more, looks more Appalachian than it does the, what most of you may know of Indiana when you drive through or fly through, fly over, which is a very flat agricultural state. It's hilly, and that's where sort of our, where we come from. That's kind of our point of view. Um, but uh, this is our 15th year um, in, in business, and that's been a lot of fun for us. The Sour program got started in 2006. Actually, this first beer that we're tasting, the Infinite Wisdom Triple, uh, was also brewed, I think, for the first time in 2006. So it's uh, consistent, at least timing-wise. Um, so I want to give... Uh, give them a second to get the beers out and get the cheeses out. Sir? Sorry? Yeah, so let me start talking about our sour program. Um, we started in 2006 with four, uh, four barrels, four wine barrels. And it really, uh, Caleb Staten, who's uh, our head brewer of our sours program, 
he they, I, I, he didn't even announce it as a program. It was like one of these days. I was like, "What are the sour? What, what are those barrels doing over there?" And he's like, "Well, you know, I'll let you know if it turns out to be something." And um, they they set tucked away in our grain room actually uh, for a year before he pulled them out and we and said, "I think we have something that's of interest. Let's." try to bottle this beer up. And so today, uh, we're, about, we're at about maybe 200 barrels in our sour program. Uh, 150 of those are wine barrels, uh, 50 or so are, are bourbon barrels. Um, and I'll talk a little bit when we get to the second beer, I'll talk a little bit about where the bourbon barrels come from and how we get there. But um, the we'll be packaging some beer in a couple months, which actually comes from a 2008 brewing. So those original four barrels are still part of our program. Believe it or not, we've packaged beer out of them twice uh, and maybe a third time next year. But the beers that, uh, some of the beers that we're gonna release later this year actually were brewed in 2008. And so from a Sours, building a Sours program, at least the way that we've done it, has been very much um, the number one component of it is patience, and the number two component of it is willingness to be to give up control because these are beers that you know if I took the 2008 when we brewed it in 2008 we probably expected to package that beer in 2009 late 2009 something like that they weren't very good in 2009. So you have two choices as a brewer. You can like, well, dump it, let's start over again. Or you can let it sit there. And we uh, chose for many of these barrels to just let them sit there and see what happens. And so of the, I know we just did a, a complete audit of all 150 barrels about two or three weeks ago. And in that, we found four barrels to be um, in trouble to the point that we wanted to dump them. So that means dumping the beer as well as uh, destroying, the, destroying the barrels themselves. And then we sort of grade and rate the beer in the remaining barrels and the best of the stuff we will blend into an unfruited sort of goose style, which we'll taste later here tonight that we call our sour reserve. And then the ones that are still very good, but maybe not that unfruited, you know, for that goose quality, then we'll add fruit to those and that becomes part of our fruited lambic program. So that's how we sort of manage our, manage the beer that's in fermentation. And like I said, it, 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 uh, it's kind of like managing, it's, it's, it's very different, right, from our regular, our, our core ale and lager program where if there's a problem, you jump on it right away and you dump the beer and you start back over and Whatnot. This is one where you kind of like manage by sitting on your ass and not managing it. And so far, it's worked out okay for us. So, at any rate, so this first this first beer, Infinite Wisdom, uh, is the name of the beer. It's our uh, Belgian style triple. It's brewed, of course, with a little bit of maize uh, and also with uh, Belgian candy sugar. So, we'll get the we'll get the sweet stuff out of the way, and then we'll get in the sours. 
And we'll see in terms of this cheddar that we have. This triple is about 11.5% in terms of alcohol. It's actually a little bit higher than we were shooting for. A really healthy yeast <laughs> is how that happened. I think this is a dangerous beer. It's, it it is. <laughs> I, hopefully craft beer radio will bleep me out when I say this is kind of like the shit show beer when you bring this beer <laughs> out. This is when bad things happen. You know, it, and then when you're, yeah, because it really doesn't have quite the booziness and the heat that you would expect out of 11.5% beer. So, it works okay alongside that, that cheddar. That's a really fatty, nice Doug, fatty aged cheddar. We have a question? Sure. Sure. Yeah, the, um, so this is, this is, um, this is a Belgian triple yeast. This is a Y yeast. Um, I can tell you exactly which one it is. Our brewers probably could. But um, I know that it, from the inside, we were like, holy cow. You know, we had it scheduled to be in fermentation for X number of days. And X number minus two was when we were like, stop, stop, stop. You know, this is going too far. So, anyway, it's, I still think it works okay. I hope you guys do. Anything works to add, nicely. Carol? It works nicely. It's very dry. You could tell that it's yeah. been fully fermented, and it's citrusy and fruity and nice with this cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like so it? Do you like it? Love it. Oh, we've got love it. Love it. Good. Nice. Do cold condition the spear. We do cold condition the spear. Yeah, so this, this ends up, this beer is uh, uh, conditioned for about six weeks after fermentation. So. Aha, lager-like. Yeah. And that's uh, actually most of our high-gravity beers we treat that way. Yep, let's start with the second. So we're ready to get in the sours? We're yeah. done with the, yeah, yeah, all right. Delicious. Delicious. Good. Yeah. So I'm just curious in terms of uh, understanding where you all come from. There are a couple of faces I think I recognize in the crowd, and I don't know whether that's from Saver in D.C. in prior years. Were you there? Yeah, I, I, I actually, yeah. The, um, so anybody who's been through Bloomington, I'm just curious. Are you? Yeah, nice. Yes? Yeah. Anybody else? No. Two will admit to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The chef with the overalls. Yeah, Seth. He's back home. 
Yeah, yeah. Were you at the salon last year? Nice, yeah. Doug, tell us about your brewer. Yeah, so we have, we have um, three brewers. Huh. Uh, so we have Caleb, who's been, um, who focuses on our sour program now. So this is one of the fun things. Last year, we built a new brewery. So we're one of the, one of the, the, uh, one of the guys, over, you know, one of the brewers over the last few years who started in one place, and then you get to a point, and you're like, oh, we have to, our original site, our original vision of how big we've become, we've exceeded that, what are we going to do? So we built a new brewery last year, and uh, we moved all of our core ale and lager brewing from the original site to a new site. And then we took our original site, and we're dedicating that strictly to the sour beers. So um, I'm assuming this is a pretty educated crowd in here and understands the process of sour beer fermentation, but the, um, these beers take, this particular beer that we're about to uh, enjoy or try takes about 12 to 14 months in fermentation. So the, um, for the sour beers, you, hurry, you get started on the project and it takes a long, in the, it takes a long time before you actually get to a, a finished packaged beer. So um, so this one, like I said, is, is about 12 to 14 months. Um, and this is a beer that, to get into this one, um, was formerly known as Gilgamesh. And um, I felt really badly because the, the gentleman at Gilgamesh Brewing, which is a brewery out in the west in Utah, uh, said, we don't like you using... <laughs> That our na- the name of our brewery for your beer. And I said, you know what? That's fair enough. I agree. Um, so it's really funny when you have... This is a beer that, that has um, done quite a bit under the Gilgamesh name. And so what are you going to do? you got to come up with a new name. And this, so, so we came up with the name Malefactor, which, again, it's a long story. I, I, I can't get into it tonight. But Caleb, you asked about our brewer. So we have to sit around and try to take the personality of a beer that we already know and that we're very comfortable with as Gilgamesh, an epic man himself. And, the, uh, and we thought that the, this beer we've always called an epic Flanders Red. And um, the uh, and we, and we had to come up and we say he's just a little bit bad. Um, he it, that's what this beer is about. It's about a ten and a half percent beer. So we're um, again still topping the scales at double digit ABV right now. Um, this is aged in bourbon barrels as opposed to uh, wine barrels, and these bourbon barrels come out of our. In fact, much like uh, port brewing does, take raw bourbon barrels. You'll do some bourbon barrel-aged beer. In our case, maybe it's a stout or, or a, a rye pale or something that we want to do, that we want to get a lot of bourbon character in. Those barrels will be used the first time for that, imparting that bourbon character to a beer. And then once you've done that, what do you do with them? You throw them away, make planters out of them, and... and so we decided we, what you don't get is a lot of bourbon character, but you do get some color out of the, those barrels still. And so, 
So for us, it goes from being a bourbon barrel that we use to age a barley wine or an imperial stout and impart bourbon character to. So that barrel lives basically six months in that duty. And then afterwards, then it comes over into our sour uh, barrel fleet. And so at that point, then Gilgamesh goes into it. So um, the, um, the cheese here that we're pairing it with, I would say, again, it's a super creamy, doesn't have the bitterness of the cheddar, sharpness of the cheddar. But again, all these are very high, high milk fat cheeses. Sorry? You know what? This is, um, do you have the notes on this, Carol? Where no, it comes I don't. from? No, I don't. But it's very creamy and funky, and it goes really yeah. well with this beer. Yeah, I actually think that's really nice. Yeah, it's a really great pairing. We have a question. Sure. Right. So yeah. the question, I'm supposed to repeat these for the radio, for the audio um, recording. So the question is, did we willingly change the name and um, given all the new breweries popping up, you know, how do you, how do you deal with trademark issues? And absolutely, I, I, we completely willingly changed the name because if somebody came out with a beer and they called it Upland Beer, I'd be like, well, that's bullshit. You can't, that's my brewery. You can't call that Upland Beer. So I, I, we were completely willing in that and in fact felt rather embarrassed that our... Um, our own branding naming process was so pathetically weak that we had not discovered that there was a, another brewery named Gilgamesh before we named our beer Gil, Gilgamesh. So I, yeah, I mean, there, there, there is definitely that going on. I, I, I will say just a bit of inside baseball. It's becoming incredibly difficult to name beers. I mean, today, because, because we're in an industry that is full of ultra creative people and we're all sort of circling around the same ideas sometimes funny sometimes beer related sometimes whatever and it, and it's almost like every great idea that you came up with somebody else came up with it you know a, you know got there a year before where you did so so we started to make sight make shit up and Seriously, I mean that they would make up words because if we make up words, then somebody else, somebody else uh, probably hasn't used it yet. So, uh, and the one other thing that we've gone back to, this is our 15th anniversary, and we went back and actually bought the rights to a 110-year-old beer brand um, because, again, that was like it's on the shelf, it's registered, it's there, it's good, but. The, um, is this champagne velvet? This is champagne velvet, yeah. Oh. Yeah, which is really cool, like like a super cool name. Um, are there any French people in the audience? Yeah, I'm French. French? <laughs> With yeah, Smigalski. So, 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 the, so, 
So the French government is maybe about to come down on us about the use of the word champagne, <laughs> which they're very protective of. This, were, the, the, this brand actually started in 1902. There's an agreement between the French government and the United States government in 1958 that the United States government would not continue to license wines, not beer, but wines in 1958 that used the word champagne. But we started in 1902. So I, I, I figure we've got champagne velvet, which is a really cool, funky, I mean, it's, it's a neat, it's, it's one of the, if you're a Bruriana collector, it's one of the, the old-time brands that has some of the best, like, signage and other cool stuff going on with it. So it's been a lot of fun for us, and, and it's been, as I said, instead of just celebrating our 15 years, we thought it would be fun to celebrate 150 years of, of regional brewing, which goes, goes way, way back. And, and this particular beer was like a 400,000-barrel um, beer uh, back in the... 40s or something like that, and it disappeared in between the 40s and 60s. So they were Indiana-based, yeah, yeah. Terre Haute Brewing Company, very close to us. So it was kind of a, you know, place of point of pride, pride in the place, sort of thing. So was Walter Brown a Walter, German? Walter what was Braun, he? yeah. Braun? Walter Braun was. Uh, so we're a little bit off topic, but I'll I'll. I appreciate you lobbying it to me. So for this particular beer, with, there's, a, there's handwritten brewer's notes from 1902 from a guy by the name of Walter Braun, who was the assistant brewer of the Terre Haute Brewing Company when they were developing this beer. And it, and it had some details about what the, the malt, basically what the grist recipe was for the beer. And so our brewers were going back trying to, trying to replicate a beer that was made with ingredients that are no longer available, but but trying to get back to what would that have tasted like and what was the barley and corn mix because you used corn uh, back in the day because uh, barley didn't have enough fermentables, so you added corn to it to, to increase the fermentables. What were the hops, all that. So, it's, so, so Champagne Velvet's loud and proud downstairs right now, and we're daring the French government to uh, stop us from using that name. Uh, I think it would be a great PR coup if we were strung up on that. <laughs> you <laughs> rebels, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vive yeah, la France. Yes. That's right. That's right. Champagne Velvet is awesome. We're kind of downstairs. We're going to get it. So, Tower Champagne Velvet. Right now, we're going to get it. We're going to get Yeah, so the, the, um, the comment was there's an acetone flavor in the beer, um, but not in an unpleasant level and uh, sort of mixes with, is with other dimensions of that beer. Um, technically, I'm not certain that I could... I'm probably not the best person to answer that your question from a technical perspective. I will say that we... Where we are from, um, we have four seasons that, that go from 
very cold and very dry to very hot and very humid. So if you're in Indiana in January, it may be five degrees and zero percent humidity. If you're in Indiana in a month or two from now, it may be 95 degrees and 90 percent humidity. And the reason why I bring that sort of climate issue up is that we actually do not manage the temperature of our barrel, of our sour barrel cellar in a, in a very tight way. So we keep it from going below 50 or 60 in the winter, and we keep it from getting above 80 or so in the summer. But otherwise, over the course of the year, these, these beers are um, tortured by the same sort of climate swings that the rest of us are. And I believe that the, some of the depth and the character and dimensions of our beer result from that. So it, again, it kind of comes back from how, how pathetically we control, how little control we, we place on the program probably results in some of the dimension and depth of the beers that come out. And I could tell, you know, it would be great if I said, oh, four years ago we said this, is, this was the plan. But quite frankly, four years ago, we were just sticking them wherever we had space. And the reality was we had, where we had space to start our Sours program was in, you know, corners of the building where it wasn't temperature controlled. Humidity controlled, temperature controlled. It wasn't very clean. It wasn't very, it wasn't very a lot of things. But it just seemed to work. And so that's kind of funny as we're trying to scale up and start to institutionalize or like trying to turn a hobby into a business. Then it's like, well, wait a second. Are we going to try to start controlling things, doing things in a better way that actually result in a less interesting, in a beer with less character? I mean, the character may come from how bootstrapped the program was as opposed to how um, well-managed the program was. Question? How similar or different is this from the Gilgamesh of last year? I've drank a few beers since then. Um, so I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember. Actually, I, this one to me actually is a little bit more balanced than the one that we had last year. And by balanced, I don't... I mean, balanced is like one of these phrases that brewers throw around sometimes, I think, in a... Um, but I think, this, I, think this, I think this beer has, like, same things going on that is the last round of Gilgamesh, but maybe in more equal parts. If I had to, if I had to describe it from my own, and I, and I don't, you know, I'm not one of these ones that says my, my opinion is the better opinion than anyone else's. That's just my own, my own take on it. I, think, I thought the one last year had actually a little bit more of some phenolic characters going on, some maybe even your acetone sort of description than this one does. I like this. 
Are you coming we, to New Jersey anytime Coming through soon? New Jersey, yeah. So somebody, somebody very incredulously down on the floor today was like, well, are you, so why are you here? Like, are you going to sell beers here? And I said, well, we're here mostly because it's kind of fun to come out, get out of town, whatever. And they're like, no, no, I mean, it, you know, so are you here because it helps market your beers or whatever? And I'm like, no, mostly just because we like to, you know, come to the big city and meet some new friends and see some old friends the, the, uh, that we haven't seen in a while. Our goal is to try to get our Sours program ramped up at a level that we could um, distribute that on a very limited basis, but on a, on a you know, top 20 metros around the country and just kind of like specially distributed in. So is, I hate to say this to New Yorkers because I always said this to the D.C. people that were here last year. I'm like, I really like going to D.C. I actually like coming to New York too. But I have a, my best friend in the world lives in D.C., so I'm like, well, part of my goal is to get beer, you know, find some reason to bring beer to D.C. so I can fly out to D.C. and, and visit my best friend. Um, but, but New York, I like coming here, too, uh, a lot. Um, there's a little restaurant that I just dragged uh, our team to last night down in the village that I've been going to for, like, 25 years, ever since I... I was like, oh, you've got, you know, drunk, drunk walking down, you know, like, four, you know, it's like it's right around this corner, I swear, I remember kind of thing. Do you remember the name of it? Uh, it used to be called The Legend. I think it's called something else now. Something else now. That's the name of it. Yeah, right? I don't know. It's, it's, it's on, I can, tell, I, 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 I can point to on the map because it's down on, it, it's on this, in the, in the, West side of the village, it's it's on this little street that hooks around, and I'm like, it's there. There's exact, and it's next to a bar that used to be, and maybe still is called Chumley's. Is that still down there? Closed a long time ago. Yeah, I'm 43. I've been coming here for a long time. I'm afraid. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So anyway, those were some of my favorite New York places. I have a question for you. Is Bloomington, Indiana, the new Sen Valley? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think... Are you making it that? I don't think we're making that, and I would never make that case. I, w- I would say, from our perspective, we're trying very hard to make quality beers in a way that we're very proud about what we do. But I, 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 the, the, idea that, the idea that we're doing something comparable to what has been done over there for, you know, ye- for, for a thousand years, I, I think is really silly to, to compare that. I mean, we're trying to, we're trying to do some nice beers and, and respect the tradition that developed there, but, um, but we'll never have, you know, 2,000 years from now, maybe you could ask us that, but right now it's, it's, we're just trying to do our own thing. Do you have any um, ambitions of having a coal ship or building a coal ship? Yeah, we do. Um, what we don't, we may have a cool ship and we don't know it. I mean, that may be part of our, part of our um, lack of managed facilities right now. Um, but 
For anybody who doesn't know, could you explain what a cool ship is? Yeah, so a cool ship is basically a, a shallow, a shallow uh, trough, for lack of a better word, in which you uh, take the wart, allow the wart to cool uh, in an open air environment and allow the ambient microorganisms that are floating around the air to basically inoculate your beer through through that very um, like lambic valley, right? But the so open air ferment, not open air fermentation, but open air inoculation and completely unmanaged inoculation. And I should say, we use a Y yeast. Um, we use a a, a Y yeast. Um, couple different Y yeast blends of microorganisms to inoculate these beers. Of course, we're putting them in a, uh, we're putting them in barrels that have been used year over year over year and that have not been sanitized in between batches. So there is something about that wild or spontaneous um, addition to the flora that's in the beer. But the... Uh, but we're not we're not all the way to the point of a cool ship based program. So the question is, do we what how um, the question is, do we swab out? Do we how 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 tightly do we manage or how tightly do we um, try to um, ascertain what microorganisms are working? in a barrel, and, and the short answer is no. And it, but I'm not certain that that's a good thing. I mean, I, to me, that's, that's a, that's like a question, that, that's a good question we probably ought to be doing if you're going to try to do more of this, if you're going to try to create consistency in the program, I think you ought to move in that direction. Um, but, um, but we're using basically sensory analysis right now to say if a beer is good, if a barrel is good, you'll continue to reuse it. And we'll reuse it with basically a hot water, hot water rinse, not a sanit... Yes, please. Not a... Uh, we won't be sanitizing, but with a hot water rinse. So you, you clear out some of the microorganisms, but you leave some back in anytime you're dealing with a wood vessel. Um, but it's but it's not to the point of of uh, looking at the at, at at the ratio of different microorganisms that are in there. Yeah. So the question is, what 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 do the bad we, we have the best ones on the one end, and we've got the worst ones on the other end, and what happens with the worst ones. So, so there was a new line item that showed up in our financial statements this year, which was, um, it didn't say this in the financial statements exactly, but it was the malt vinegar line item. So the worst, <laughs> so the worst ones, it was some unbelievably delicious vinegar, and we sold it to uh, to a couple James Beard nominated chefs in the state who are like, "I'm super." They're all into it. It was very cool, but it was nice. it was malt vinegar. It wasn't 
base beer for fruited lambics or whatnot. So, so I think that, you know, I mean, you'll have to come taste it in one of their salads or recipes. I don't know, but, but you know, that's, that's, that's how bad things can go <laughs> in all of this. But the, um, but like I said, the, the, we're, we're monitoring, again, it's just through sensory analysis. There are about three people who get together and they sample the beer out of the barrels. And they're describing the beer, again, through their own sensory analysis and saying this is a candidate for uh, an unfruited blended beer. So what they just poured right now is the Sour Reserve 3. This is our third batch of, of uh, unfruited blend of, of uh, I think this is three barrels, three or four barrels that we blended together on this one. Um, and then there are barrels that are in the category of maybe you would call good but not outstanding. And therefore, those are the ones that maybe different dimensions of them will be good. One's funkier, one's tartar, more acetic, etc. They're not in a bad way, but not on a standalone basis as a barrel. It's not something that you would want to put in a bottle and, and consume just that beer. And those are the ones that we think, again, from our fruited lambic program, that that's something that, the, that then you add the character, a fruit character to it, and that becomes even more, that, that adds a dimension and, and, um, and, and makes it more interesting. And again, had the son of a bitch not stolen the cherry lambic tonight, you would have had a chance to try some cherry lambic, which is a representation of what those barrels are like. But then... This is, the, uh, this is a Sour Reserve 3, which uh, is paired with an a, um, aged goat cheese, I believe, with a little herb and pepper in there, too. It's, 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 the, it's the way that, again, it just becomes... Beauty is in the eye of the beholder always in these beers, right? But there are some that are, are tart and acetic and lactic and in a pleasant way. And then there are some that are tart and acetic and lactic in an unpleasant way. Um, again, I like, I like a great vinegar, a great aged vinegar. I mean, everybody does too, but, but you like that as a as a, as a condiment kind of item as opposed to like a something that you want to drink six or eight ounces of at a time i mean it's a it's an ingredient it's not the main course right so so this is a for the sour reserve three to me it has a really nice blend and a really nice balance between some character in it that is funky and cheesy and you know, barnyardy and horsey, and it has some tartness to it that it's, you know, wake you up at the, you know, 10.30 in the evening after you've been drinking beers, this kind of wakes you up a little bit too. Um, but overall, I, I just think it's, it works in the I think this works really, really well with this creamy, creamy cheese. Am I 
Do you agree with me? Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's really an incredible pairing. So it's super dry. I mean, again, it's a... It's really dry on the back end. It, I don't know. I, it's hard. I, I'd love to how, taste how that cherry lambic. Yeah, I'd love to taste that, but you know what? This is so delicious, so succulent, that you could imagine in your brain just how good the cherry would be if yeah, included I mean, I, in this. Yeah, I, I, like I said, we're, we're very proud of this, but I, I don't... I'm the first one to admit that our that we were proud but not arrogant about it because we did not there are things that we manage but there are things that we don't manage to create a beer like this. So in some sense I think we have to be very um open to acknowledging that it's the place where we're at and the conditions in which we brew some of which are ac- were accidental originally and, and as opposed to intentional and, and to create a beer like this. And that's, that's pretty cool because that really, I mean, again, that gets back to the original, the original um, beer-making process, which was, quite, which was very accidental. I mean, the, 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 the science was not understood. So you didn't under- if you didn't understand the science, you didn't manage anything. You just let it happen. No, no, I belong to the Central Indiana Beer Appreciation Society, and I don't even live in Indiana. Indiana is incredible. Yeah, I mean, go I, on. Well, I mean, I, again, our, our so it's kind of funny because we have, like I said, anywhere from the northern part of the state where our three Floyd's Floyd's brothers are, um, down toward the southern end where we are, and there are. 40 or 50 other brewers in the state and um, you know many are doing really great stuff but but I think the like I said we we happen to be in that that middle part of the country that really gets extreme really gets extreme weather and I think that's part of what's made this pro I mean that causes us all kinds of grief for all sorts of other you know everywhere else in our program but I think that that's what helps bring dimension to our sours program and it does have a lot of dimension it's beautiful am i correct i think that we're sort of running out of time if you have more questions you can come up and ask him after the program yeah if we have any uh beer left over is there any more out there yeah so you guys should i know everybody's gotten three or four ounces here tonight but if you if there's any more out there and you care for it please uh we're not going to haul it home, and I don't want the guy that stole it off the dock to get any more. So yeah, bring it in. We'll have a party. It. Yeah, let's drink it here. We want to thank our presenter, Doug Dayhoff. Cheers to you guys. Come on, loud, loud. Make them hear it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2013, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. 
You can find the rest of the salons from Saver 2013, as well as all the salons from previous years at craftbeerradio.com slash saver or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com. <laughs>